Michael inviting you to join us. Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. You are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. This is the Physical Culture and Music and Art Show, streaming live from 100 Bogart Street in beautiful Bushwick, Brooklyn. I am Vincent Metza, Dean of Discipline, Dean of Personal Training, and the man with the face for radio. <laughs> Welcome to Physical Culture, Music, and Art. On today's show, we have Abdallah Hawili and Dr. Ted Keating from Manhattan College. Abdallah is a world musician currently based in New York City and previously Beirut, Lebanon. He plays the medieval Persian instrument, the oud, for a solo career, as well as collaborating with various musicians worldwide. He received his training at the Lebanese National Higher Conservatory, concentrating in Arab Levantine music specializing in vocals and the oud instrument. He has played in several bands in Lebanon before moving to New York, and he currently collaborates with a collective in Long Island City, and he also performs at local schools in Long Island and at private parties. Welcome, Abdallah. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. Thank you for joining us. So can you tell us a little bit about the history of the Oud? The history of the Oud. So the Oud started in the Arabia and they and then went back to Persia. It was like basically in that area. It's a 7,000 years old instrument uh-huh. that, uh, that's been susceptible to a lot of development, a lot of improvement mm-hmm. along, along history. Basically, mm-hmm. the guitar came from this instrument. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. And it looks with the large rounded body, it looks a little like a mandolin. It also, looks like a mandolin. Or, it's mm-hmm. between in between guitar, mandolin. It has many identities mixed in together. Uh huh. To produce this uh, kind of authentic mm-hmm. sound. Wonderful. Yeah. How did you particularly get into playing the oud with all the other instruments out there? How did you start studying music? Well, my uncle inspired me to to do that. He was a musician. Mm-hmm. And he had many instruments. And amongst these instruments, he has the oud, which really brought, uh, caught my attention. And because I sing, mm-hmm. I, I love singing. In the, in the shower, I sing. I sing uh-huh. outside to people. I sing in the school sometimes. So I was like, the, the oud is the right instrument for me to escort myself while I'm singing with mm-hmm. melodies, with, uh, with the right tuning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was... Well, the story, and uh, when I went to the conservatory, we had to choose an instrument mm-hmm. to learn while we were singing to guide us. And the oud was the the choice. Uh huh. Right. How can you speak a little to the arts in general in Lebanon when you were growing up? How was it? Do a lot of people pursue the arts, or is it something that people aren't that interested in? Or how does that play in Lebanese society? 
Well, actually, it differs from Lebanon. Lebanon is a very small country, but at the same time, it's really like it varies from place to place within mm-hmm. the country. Where I grew up in my society, it was a bit of a conservative society that looked at music as a, something maniacal, something devilish, mm. that Ooh. you play music, it's haram. Uh-huh. We say haram in, in Arabic means like it's forbidden. Uh-huh. You shouldn't do it. It will evoke, uh, invoke uh, instincts you don't need. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it was really frowned upon to be a musician. Uh-huh. And in other societies, like if you go outside where people went to better schools, had better understanding for the musical or the art education in general. Mm-hmm. Things were much different. People appreciated art and looked up to it and really pursued it. Mm-hmm. So it really differs from place to place within, uh-huh. the, within mm-hmm. the country. But your family, since your uncle was already a musician, he was facing they didn't his own have obstacles. that. Oh, he was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he, I remember him. He had like, when he has to go to a concert, for example, or one of the like restaurant events he used to have. He mm-hmm. used to hide the oud to bring it to his car. Oh, really? He used to hide it or mm-hmm. go in the early morning to just put the oud in the car, mm-hmm. make sure nobody sees him. He was a bit like ashamed. Uh-huh. Not ashamed, particularly he was like, like worried about what people are going to think of him. Mm-hmm. Like he's playing music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a social stigma. There's a social it. stigma. Yeah. It should be like reading the Quran instead. You should be mm-hmm. going to the mosque instead of playing music. This is something mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. So he was a rebel. To be a musician in where I grew up uh-huh. is to be a rebel, to to fight the conventions. Mm-hmm. It's a struggle on mm-hmm. its own. Then, you know, back in the 1950s here, they used to call rock and roll the devil's music. So music was accepted, but then there were different genres of music that obviously were more or less frowned upon. So in Lebanon, were there different, you know, different types of music, different genres of music? And how, how were those viewed differently? Yeah. So in Lebanon, there's the Oriental Arab uh, mm-hmm. Levantine music, of course. And also the rock had, had, a, had a scene in uh, downtown Beirut mm-hmm. and like in an area where a lot of pubs, a lot of nightlife was on the happening. Um, so yeah, this kind of music was there. Jazz had a scene in Lebanon, but mm-hmm. it was only for the minorities, people who really like uh, were open to other cultures, mm-hmm. not in the whole in the whole Lebanon, not in the whole right. area. Yeah. Right, that's great. Thanks. Well, let's uh, cut to the chase here. We did a little Facebook Live. Would you like to play us a song? And before you start, tell us a little about the the history of the song. Of course, mm-hmm. this is I'm gonna sing the song about the heart. Okay. Uh, Arabic music is very sentimental music. It mm-hmm. speaks about like love. Mm-hmm. It's all about love. It's all about Habibi. Habibi means my beloved. It's a very uh-huh. like, yeah. So this, this song is about the heart is my guide. My heart is my guide. Okay. I feel my heart. Wonderful. Yep.
That song uh, dates back to the 60s. It's an Egyptian song. Um, it has the distinctive song uh, thing about this song is that it has it has it has the opera kind of taste to it. Goes, I be, I apparently couldn't make the opera sound because it's so challenging. But it, mm-hmm. usually the original song has a mix of opera in it. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, this should be like really operatic, mm-hmm. and it represented this in this song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And there were a couple different rhythm changes in that song. Yeah. Uh, the sort of the two last sections, which were a little shorter, really change rhythm. Is that a traditional kind of format to change rhythms in that way? Or is there? Yeah, the Arabic music, uh, we have something called the maqam. Maqam is like a scale. And mm-hmm. there are many scales. There's the majors, there's the minors, there's the siga. These are like... Um, taste of music that can be in the same song you know you can have the major you can have the minor and you can have the oriental arabic maqam in it mm-hmm. and that's what makes this kind of uh diversity in the in the arabic song uh-huh yeah so we're gonna do another song in a few minutes but i was wondering with music being looked at as what was the word you used frowned upon right. haram haram means forbidden haram, haram. Mm. Especially in the mm-hmm. yeah religious Muslim mm-hmm. Muslim uh, mm-hmm. communities, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how do they look at physical education? How do they look at exercise and sports? Did you have gym class in school when you were growing up? How, how did that work? Actually, I did not have a gym class in the school, but gym classes uh, people do them on their own. You know, mm-hmm. it's something really highly regarded for a man, especially to go to gym. It's ah. something very important. You have to mm-hmm. be the powerful man. You have mm-hmm. you have the muscles, and mm-hmm. this is what the men in this kind of society really cared about. And mm-hmm. yeah, you have to go to gym. You know, you have to look strong. You have to to be in shape. So, mm-hmm. and then like distinctively, then the music they looked at it in a really frowned upon, but like in this mm-hmm. kind of uh, physical physical situation, they looked at it in a mm-hmm. kind of better way. In a lot of the literature that I look at, you know, there are things from India, things from North Africa, like clubs and gaja and maces and things like that. Is there a traditional type of Lebanese exercise or tool that people use? I don't know if this applies, but we have the depki, it's the Lebanese dance where people hold, uh-huh. hold shoulders and they start like, uh, mm-hmm. they start moving their legs. Mm-hmm. And they usually used to do these exercises back in the day before concrete, before we had cement to build houses. Uh-huh. They used to do it for this mud to like uh-huh. make it consistent together. Ah, to they sort of flatten it. And exactly, to flatten uh-huh. it and to make uh-huh. it consistent. And so, mm-hmm. so it evolved into a dance, into a form of art. Mm-hmm. You can call that a sport as well because it involves a lot of twists, mm-hmm. a lot of um, movement around. It's- Absolutely. Now, with that type of, exercise or that type of dance is there music involved in that is there yeah. drumming involved in it drumming is the mm-hmm. bass is kind of like the bass thing that goes on mm-hmm. you can have the oud you can have the drum but the drums have to because this uh, dance runs with the beats uh-huh. it has to be in the right beat the movement has to follow the beat mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. then what's the sports culture like do a lot of people play football or soccer there they or play what soccer, sort of yeah. they play soccer soccer is very mm-hmm. big in lebanon mm-hmm. um 
Yeah, they look like the World Cup. Everybody puts flags for Brazil, for Germany, for uh huh. Yeah, and is there a Lebanese team? There's or? no Lebanese team. No. Lebanese mm-hmm. team never made it to the World Cup, unfortunately, uh-huh. because of flag mm-hmm. of training, like of equipment, mm-hmm. like of funds, many mm-hmm. many reasons. Then are there any colonial influences? So is the the second language there is French? The second language is French. English mm-hmm. now is taking over. Uh-huh. There's certainly a uh, French uh, colonialist kind of mm-hmm. influence in Lebanon mm-hmm. in certain areas. And in mm-hmm. general, Lebanese people uh, speak a little bit of French in mm-hmm. general. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And were, I know in a lot of you know, former British colonies, things like uh, cricket are very popular. Are there any other sports that have come to Lebanon that became popular? Maybe that the French brought? Or? That's a very interesting question, actually. Um French, I mean, maybe I mean, they're soccer, not necessarily I, known for yeah, their athletic, for their athletic, not, yeah. you know, not to maybe be rude, soccer, but yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I mean, I don't know because there's a French team that uh, that made qualifies to the World Cup, so probably mm-hmm. it might be football, soccer. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe like do they play? I don't know if they play golf because there are some like. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. golf places in Lebanon in the very rich mm-hmm. areas in the right, yeah, right. where the French mm-hmm. basically used to be mm-hmm. there are some like fields for mm-hmm. to play cool. yeah and then after school would you get together with your friends and you know get a ball and play or what sort of stuff would the kids do after school in terms of physical you know sports or stuff like that or did you go and practice music Well, uh, typically for after finishing school, when I was younger, we used to play football in the alleys because we had a very mm-hmm. narrow streets. We didn't mm-hmm. have like playgrounds or anything, or we had to mm-hmm. pay to go. So we used to just play in front of the in the backyard, mm-hmm. but where also cars were passing all the time. All right. It's like right. The, something similar to the favelas in Brazil. Uh-huh. Like people play in the in the in the small alleys. So that mm-hmm. was yeah mm-hmm. alleys, I guess alleyways. Yeah, alleys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. So that wasn't one of the activities. I used to play uh-huh. music when I grew older. Yeah, I started. Mm-hmm. I, did, I wasn't too much into sports. I shifted mm-hmm. to playing music and mm-hmm. going to my uncle's house. And mm-hmm. and did you perform with your uncle? Did yeah. you do? We we mm-hmm. did some music together. We didn't perform like on a public level, but for family and friends, we used to play. He used to play mm-hmm. the violin and play the oud, which formed a very uh, oriental combination. Wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you are listening to the Physical Culture, Music, and Art Show. We're here with Abdallah Hawili, the Oud Dude. You can find him at Oud Dude on Instagram and also on Facebook. And we'd like to give a quick shout-out to the Swedish Institute, which has been in continuous operation in New York City for 100 years. They've added quality health care programs, including personal training, nursing, medical assisting, to their long-standing massage therapy foundation. And their school provides the hands-on professional approach to education to get you to the workplace. You can find the Swedish Institute at www.swedishinstitute.edu, or you can call them at 212-924-5900, extension 199, for more information. At swedishinstitute.edu or 212-924-5900, extension 199. And we thank them for their generous donation to Radio Free Brooklyn and to this show. Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c3 
nonprofit corporation doing work in the community. And you can make a tax-deductible donation to Radio Free Brooklyn at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. Radio Free Brooklyn has recently started an after-school program, their Teen Squad. The next Teen Squad will be starting in April, and it's a place for teenagers to learn about podcasting, about radio, and about media-free, media-best practices. You can find out more at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org forward slash teen squad or forward slash after school. So Abdallah, yes. you ready to do another song for oh, us? Oh, I would love to. Okay. Yeah. Can you give us a little introduction about this one also? Of course. This uh, song is about the workers. It might have uh, like a working taste, working class taste where mm-hmm. people are hardworking. They wake up in the morning to the sound of everything that happens in the morning, you know, mm-hmm. the rooster, when the rooster says cuckoo cuckoo, this song mm-hmm. has this taste in it, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah. Wonderful. It's for a very, um, a brilliant, uh, mm, talented, uh, mm-hmm. Egyptian, uh, guy called uh, Sayyid Darwish. Sayyid Darwish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. wonderful so how can people contact you in order to get you to do some educational stuff about the youth or to play at parties or if they're interested in you i know you've done some contemporary rock and roll kind of stuff with the youth so how can people get in touch with you so people can get in touch with me through instagram pages at ood dude they can find me in this name. 
Um, also, I have my Facebook page. It's Abdullah Hawili. You can't recognize my picture. I mean, uh, <laughs> there are mm-hmm. way too many. Yeah. Um, I'm actually working on a website right now. So mm-hmm. it's still in the making. It's still not official yet. But it's going to take a while. I'm mm-hmm. still working on it. Yeah. So these are the ways. Um, Wonderful. Yep. So, Abdullah, in order to be a musician, do you find that, how do you take care of yourself? What sort of things do you do for your health? You're not a smoker. I'm not a smoker. Right. Sometimes mm-hmm. I uh, I smoke shisha sometimes. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's not as bad as smoking, but I should quit that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I take, uh, honey is very good for the, for the, mm-hmm. yeah, for, for the, the cords, for the mm-hmm. vocal cords, mm-hmm. for the throat as well. Um, you should get enough sleep, really sleep matters a lot. You should mm-hmm. get at least eight hours of sleep because the voice is like part of your health, your physical health. Mm-hmm. If your physical health is doing good, your voice is going to sound good. And otherwise, it, would, it won't. Um, do a lot of exercises, a lot of sport. Um, meditate as well because singing mm-hmm. is a form of getting internal, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. so meditation, which I mm-hmm. started doing about three months ago. It's uh-huh. really helping. It's really coming in handy. Um, it makes me reflect, mm-hmm. makes me feel the singing, the music, because they are all, to me, they're all a combination. They're all like a whole. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What sort of exercise and sports are you currently involved in? Well, I bike to work right now. I, I bike all the way to Randall's Island, which have very mm-hmm. good exercise in the morning, back and forth. Uh, I do some running every now and then. Um and I also, I mean, medit- if you want to see that as fitness, meditation yeah. is also. Mm-hmm. Well, that's certainly a theme that's come up on the show a lot recently is, you know, for so many years, everybody was focused on the aerobic or cardiovascular exercise, the biking and the running and the resistance training. But now there's such a big aspect to stress reduction and mindfulness and guided meditation and really active ways to recover from the exercise and to be present in yourself. So absolutely, that's part of fitness. And it's the trainers and the professionals who can add that for their clients that are really taking it to the next level. What type of meditation do you do? Well, I, I don't know. I like I don't I don't know if there's a certain name for it, but it's just mm-hmm. I focus on my breathing, I let my mind wander. Mm-hmm. And then I come back to my breathing. That's the simple mm-hmm. exercise. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of names for meditations out there. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I really do that simple exercise just to have the time to sit for myself, mm-hmm. at least 10 minutes a day, mm-hmm. and focus on the breathing. Wonderful. Yeah. And can you tell us a little bit about the new job you're doing? Because it was very interesting when you mentioned it before the show. Of course. Mm-hmm. I would love to. So I'm working in a Kirby Psychiatric Forensic Center in Randall's Island. I work with um, with felonies who were proven mentally insane. They did the crime after they were proven mentally insane. Mm-hmm. And they they are in this place to get rehabilitated, to learn the legal right legal terminology in order to communicate in the court, to communicate with the lawyer, and to resume their sentence in the, back in the prison. Mm-hmm. So this place is about rehabilitation. I do um, interpretation for Arabic patients there who need to communicate with the treatment staff. Mm-hmm. So I'm there to um, bridge the language barrier mm-hmm. between the, mm-hmm. the patients and the treatment staff. It's a very interesting job. It's uh, It feels rewarding. Um, um, usually people look at these people down as they are criminals. I mean, they've done maybe something, something not good, but at the same mm-hmm. time, community is also like 
provided the setting for that. And we're going to talk about that maybe in upcoming uh, mm-hmm. episodes about uh-huh. extensively. So it's a very interesting perspective. It puts things into perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, give us the website and the Instagram again, please. So the, I have the Instagram now. It's udud, uh, at O-U-D dash dude, D-U-D-E. And my Facebook is Abdullah Hawili. The website is still on the work now. So Okay, yeah. but Facebook, Facebook and Instagram. And Instagram, right. Right. And yeah. birthday parties, events. I'm et available for anything mm-hmm. for music education. I'm now trying to join the Arabic New York Arabic Orchestra. I'm uh-huh. resuming my education in the Levantine Arabic music. Wonderful. So hopefully one day I'll be part of the mm-hmm. orchestra. So I'm now learning with the ensemble. Wonderful. To uh Hopefully. Actually, can you tell us what exactly is Levantine music? Levantine music is where the half flat note comes in, when there's this mm. oriental Arabic note comes mm-hmm. in. Like in the mm-hmm. makams we were speaking about before, the scales, uh-huh. there is this taste of like the rust, for example, this is one of the makams where you mm-hmm. feel, I can, can mm-hmm. I play something yeah, just yeah, to give please. an example? Sure. Like... So this in some way differs from the Western music, which mm-hmm. is like either mi- major or minor. Mm-hmm. This one has more like, yeah, lili, yeah, lili. like when people mm-hmm. are sitting together smoking shisha, you will like sound them singing uh-huh. like that, for example. Uh-huh. Yeah. So this mm-hmm. is how the Arabic music differ in a way, just to make uh-huh. it as close as I can. This mm-hmm. is one way for it. And are there other countries or traditions of Levantine music, which other musical traditions fall under that main category? Uh, well, there's the Turkish music. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Turkish music is considered kind of Arabic music. They have mm-hmm. their own um, modifications that they have applied for the mm-hmm. different scales. Um, uh, there's the Persian music, the Iranian music. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all come under the same under umbrella. Under that same umbrella. Same umbrella. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your music with us and your you other me. insights in history. And we'll have you back on the show again soon. And uh, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we'll have Ted Keating from Manhattan College, and we'll talk some about the fitness industry and about Ted's journey and education in the fitness industry. This is the Physical Culture Music and Art Show on Radio Free Brooklyn. And we are back with Ted Keating. Ted is an associate professor of kinesiology at Manhattan College. He teaches both undergraduate and graduates, preparing them in physiology and biomechanics of human movement. Ted's professional interests include all areas of human performance, with particular emphasis on strength and conditioning and clinical exercise science. He's received his Ph.D. from the University of Pittsburgh and works closely with the Northeast Regional Chapter of the American College of Sports Medicine. Ted, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. 
Great to see you, Vincent. Thank you for coming. It's good to see you, too. And I have to say, I think you set me up. But the, the Ood dude is a tough act to follow. But oh. It was, was, a, was wonderful. I have, I have no musical talent to share with you, but I'll do what I can. That's all right. You know, the format of the show is to look both at the physical culture as well as the art and the music. So you're here for the physical culture uh, portion of the show. Although if you want to tap dance, I won't stop you. So, Ted, could you tell us, how did you get started in fitness? So, I've always had an interest in sport and physical activity. Um, And I was debating sharing this with your listeners coming over, but I think to adequately tell my story, this piece has to be included. Um, At age 10, I was diagnosed with a degenerative disease of the retinas called retinitis pigmentosa. And that has, at this point in my life, left me legally blind. All that simply to say that that has made me probably a little bit more of a kinesthetic person, mm-hmm. uh, someone who relates to the world a little bit more through body and movement and to my other senses. And put that together with, again, a love of exercise and sport and a love of science, put that in a blender and uh, pour it out. I'm not sure you could come up with anything else besides a professor of kinesiology uh-huh. and uh, you know, a fitness enthusiast in general. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. But that's certainly, you know, it's the personal journeys that bring us to and really add value to what it is that we do in life. It's interesting to me also that I tend to think of you as an exercise physiologist, but you think of yourself more as a kinesiologist. Is there, do you see any difference or did you do that on purpose or is that just something I'm reading into it? Probably intentionally. I think if physiology is just, you know, one of my interests and I think I, if you just simply look at the, you know, the courses I teach, you might have it like, Oh, here's the academic uh, in the room. Um, while I love the physiology, that's embedded in a more broad interest in human movement that I've I've kind of cultivated over the years. Um, you know, back around uh, when you know, my vision started getting a little worse, I started studying the work of uh, people. Some of your listeners may recognize uh, mm-hmm. F.M. Alexander, Moshe Feldenkrais, mm-hmm. um, some of the uh, movement educators that believed in using movement to enhance global awareness. And that's something that has been a big part of uh, my life and, and my practice. And that might be the, the, the piece that people don't know about. It's just how much I love uh, movement in general. And mm-hmm. again, the, the physiology is just uh, the, the why of it all is just one uh, expression of that. And, you know, I, I do patron arts, the arts, I love Music, mm-hmm. you know, you'll you'll find mm-hmm. me at uh, you know Geffen Hall at the Met some weekends. Uh, so I, 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 there's that piece as well. Mm-hmm. When you say global awareness, what what does that mean to you? Can you speak to that a little more? Sure, I was I was glad that Abdullah brought up uh, meditation, and that's just mm-hmm. one of many ways to kind of get quiet and attuned to your body. But uh, movement is is another way to do it. Almost anything mm-hmm. that we do with the right focus can become meditative. Uh, anytime we force ourselves to just become a little bit more aware of what we're doing, if it is movement, if it's breathing, if it's just a daily chore, if we do it with, with enough uh, focused awareness, that awareness goes into other areas of your life as well. Feldenkrais found that you know, the tendency for mm-hmm. improvements in 
uh, mental functioning to just spread out into other areas. So if you improve, for instance, a, uh, a movement or a dance through just exquisite practice, you'll find that that awareness infiltrates every other aspect of your life. You'll start doing things a little bit uh, more efficiently. You'll start thinking about things a little bit more efficiently. And that's, that's something I've noticed uh, uh, personally. Just uh, you, know, you get rid of the unnecessary things. You get rid of the, the things that sap your attention. You stop lingering on, on, on thoughts. And this mm-hmm. all comes from uh, you know, correcting uh, you know, simply movement or breathing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's such a connection that we've talked about in some previous shows also, the real connection between dance and art and exercise. And it's sad that our physical culture has turned into this physical culture that is so focused on appearance and vanity and sports and money and competition and winning. And now to see that we're starting to get back to this idea of mindfulness, of global awareness, of focus, and of how exercise and doing something that's skilled and requires repetition and precision is really so healthy for us, not just for the cardiovascular system, not just for the muscular system, but for the nervous system and for our mental well-being. Have you found that that's been incorporated, or how do you incorporate that into the classes and the programs at Manhattan College? Do the students get a course in stress reduction or mindfulness or anything like that so they can include that in their practices? Yeah, uh, we do have a stress management course. I taught it for about 16 years, and it was actually, you know, it's, it's an unlikely course for someone like me to teach. What's, what's the physiologist doing teaching the stress management thing? But there are, the connections are so clear. Um, just, you know, awareness of what your body is doing, as we said, you know, can mm-hmm. translate to other areas. But uh, so much of the physiology of exercise uh, translates to the physiology of stress responding. And so if mm-hmm. we can put up roadblocks to one, we can put up roadblocks to the other. You know, exercise is probably the number one stress management tool there is. So I got to have a lot of fun with that class. Mm-hmm. And it was the one where I, I kind of miss it in a sense. It was the one where I really got to express that, that uh, not just that physiology side, but I incorporated a lot of the techniques uh, such as, you know, Jacobson's progressive relaxation, that sort of mm-hmm. tense and relax um, Schultz's autogenic training, where you use autosuggestion to subconsciously uh, change body functions we didn't even know we could control, mm-hmm. like you know your your body temperature and you know the the you know the tone of your uh, your blood vessels and uh, and things like that. Um, so that that was a lot of fun, and and you know it, it even got into some of the uh, cognitive end of things, even though we didn't go real deep into mm-hmm. that, but just changing the way you know we think about it a little bit. Like adjusting negative self-talk and dichotomous thinking and that sort of thing. Exactly. You know, not Mm -hmm. catastrophizing, not mind reading, not Mm -hmm. not filtering out the negative, the positive, which we tend to to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How would you say, well, first off, just to give a little context, what are the students or who are the students that you're teaching? What are their majors? What are their goals? 
and you know where where are they coming from? What are their psychographics, if you will? Sure, it's 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 kind of a hodgepodge. Um, it's a combination of people who want to be either physical education uh, teachers, uh, fitness professionals, uh, physical therapists, occupational therapists, um, and what we're seeing more lately is uh, people who want to go into the medical professions, such mm-hmm. as physicians, uh, assistant, perhaps chiropractic. And, you know, we have a curriculum that provides a lot of the prerequisites for that, such as the chemistry and the physics and the anatomy, but I think does it in a little bit better context than if someone majored in, you know, biology is wonderful, but Mm -hmm. um, we provide that in the context of the kinesiology program, Mm -hmm. which has a lot of practical hands-on classes that'll leave them with the skills that will probably serve them a little bit better in careers and rehabilitation and, uh, and medicine. And it's uh, embedded in, in my opinion, a more fun <laughs> uh, curriculum. Mm-hmm. So we, we attract uh, a combination of people. People who are genuinely interested in movement and those who didn't really know they were interested in movement until they, they chose what they thought might have been an easier, more fun path. And they realized, uh-huh. you know, gosh, this can really incorporate. Uh-huh. They thought it was going to be all fun and games, right? And, and then they meet <laughs> me and they're like, oh, boy, this is uh, game over. <laughs> uh-huh. How um. When you first got involved in physiology, kinesiology, and the fitness industry, what was it like back in the in the nineties, in the eighties? Yeah. Yeah. How how did you see it back then? Uh, without giving away how it is now, but if you just had to paint a picture of what things were like, what the trainers were like, what the industry was like when you first started. Sure, I can share that because I was probably one of them. Uh-huh. Um, there was definitely, so a lot of things in the industry were very machine-based, uh, you know, back mm-hmm. in the 80s and, and early 90s before the quote-unquote functional training movement. There was definitely an emphasis on um, aesthetics, as there still is now, mm-hmm. but, but in more so, you know, there was, I think there were two sources that infiltrated the fitness industry, the bodybuilding uh, industry and that aesthetic and um, the rehabilitation industry. And so you had a lot of uh, anatomically based sort of body part approaches to training. And I, and mm-hmm. I was certainly a part of that early. And we weren't really thinking as much about movement and integrated um, exercise programs. It was really, let's work this muscle because mm-hmm. it's going to look really good or mm-hmm. I've hurt this joint. Um, and then of course, uh, I, you and I were in a good place to see the transition that occurred in the you know mid to late '90s, where there was an incorporation again of function. Um, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of it back then was the unstable apparatus, and things mm-hmm. like Swiss balls started getting incorporated, and people were doing uh, more movement-based approaches. That I think, thankfully, more so, I think dominates the the thinking today. I don't know if you wanted to bridge into mm-hmm. what's happening. Oh now. yeah, yeah, that's okay. fine. Mm-hmm. I'll share with you of. Uh, an anecdote. I was I was at a hotel uh, fitness room um, a few weeks ago with a friend, and we walked in, and just picture you know a, a facility like that back in the eighties. Mm-hmm. There might have been a treadmill, mm-hmm. an upright bike, and you know that was probably at maybe a, a mm-hmm. universal weight stack. I'm really dating myself with that reference, right. but something selectorized. <laughs> um, but I walked into this room, and there, what greeted me were kettlebells. Swiss balls, uh, you know, you know, plyo balls. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a chin-up apparatus with a grip for rock climbing. And on the floor in the corner, 
there were battling ropes. Wow. And At I, a hotel. Yeah. And I thought mm-hmm. about this and, and, I, and I commented and it's like, yeah, gosh, okay. You know, it's radio when I say gosh, um, <laughs> how far have we, have we come? Uh, how much has, you know, a, the fitness industry changed, but how much has that, if, if the hospitality industry is following suit, how much more influence does the fitness industry have on culture now than it did in the past? Mm-hmm. Now we're, we're trusting people to move in more free ways and, and functional ways with all these different apparatus, where in the past, the idea was to kind of lock people in and to, if anything, mm-hmm. restrict movement a little bit. Right, right. Well, it's I, I totally agree with what you're saying, but it, it just struck me. It's almost, there's another aspect to it, which is that with the machines, it made it safe for everybody. Mm-hmm. Very hard to hurt yourself on a machine. So you could throw any of those people in and they could do something. Right. Now, you know, obviously there, you know, a much greater portion of the population is obese than back in the 80s. It's just, you know, expanding exponentially. So to have kettlebells and battling ropes, that's great, but it's almost elitist because there are only so many people who would actually know what to do with those things or be able to use them without potentially hurting themselves right and that's the that's the dark Mm -hmm. side of the thing and i guess Mm -hmm. that's where you know fitness professionals such as you know yourself myself and some of the other great people we've had on here Mm -hmm. kind of come in uh but you know with you know that freedom comes you know the responsibility to make sure people receive appropriate apprenticeship for for some of these things yeah right and appropriate guidance and Mm -hmm. stuff yeah but that is a very interesting transition that the industry has made how do you find the students you're teaching relate to fitness now or relate to yeah, relate to fitness, relate to their own physical education? Not so much how they do as students in school, but just how they experience and personalize the things that they're learning. Yeah, I think each according to their backgrounds, a lot of them will come in just by the nature of our field with a sport background. Mm-hmm. So they'll be um, they'll be well adept at their sport and the training methodologies for their, that sport. Some might come in with a dance background, and and that's what they know. Some might come in, and actually, it's funny. More and more are coming in with a little bit of a structured fitness background, as more and mm-hmm. more. Uh, you know, you know, strength and conditioning sites are, are becoming available and more and more gyms that specialize in athletic uh, sorts of preparation are, mm-hmm. are becoming more available. Do so, you find, I'm sorry, yeah, do you please. find any of them are actually getting that in high school? I mean, are any of them going through those, what they call the new physical education programs where they're trying to teach them about lifelong habits and teaching them to roller skate or lift weights or how to take their heart rate or is this happening more uh, not from the school side, but from the you know industry side of it? Yeah, I think to to some extent it, it's the school side, but I think to a greater extent it is more the the formalized sport and, and fitness industry mm-hmm. side of it. Uh, there are definitely some enlightened physical education programs out there, but I think for, you know my experience, most of them are, are getting it from more individualized outside uh, practice these days. Mm-hmm. We can definitely do, mm-hmm. we're doing some great things with PE. We can definitely do more. Right. Right. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and 
go to our exercise physiology segment with Professor Vic Geary. We'll be back in a minute with Dr. Ted Keating. Exercise Science with Professor Vic Geary. Thank you. Welcome. Today we have letter related to last week's piece. Letter say, Dear Professor, Fat is bad for you is capitalist plot by sugar industry. While researching, I came across the Pelican brief on Big Sugar. They were the ones who started the whole low-fat diet craze. They should be paying our diabetes costs like Big Tobacco has been paying for some of the cancer costs. Thank you very much for letter. In other capitalist plots, today we talk about the space race. In the publish ahead of print, from medicine, science, in sports and exercise. Article prediction of planetary mission task performance for long duration spaceflight, because maybe we go to the Mars. In this study, they aim to determine the values and ranges for key aerobic fitness variables that can individually map the level of the success for planetary mission tasks performance for long duration spaceflight with the goal to develop a predictor testing model that can be performed with in-flight equipment. <laughs> this reminds me of old story. When we have the space race in the 1960s, the Amerikanski, they spend millions and millions of dollars to develop space pen. Then they're right in zero gravity. We Russians, we use pencil. <laughs> Darling, please, get back to the point. Yes, the point of this study. You want to go to Mars, you need to be tough. You need to exercise. The cardio, I don't know. The muscular strength, yes. Also, I see other study. They say that the astronauts, they get in the herpes. I don't know what they do up there. But we see you next time. This has been Exercise Science with Professor Vic Geary. Uh, thank you, Professor Geary. We are back on Radio Free Brooklyn, streaming live from 100 Bogart Street in beautiful Bushwick, Brooklyn. We're here with Dr. Ted Keating from Manhattan College, Professor of Kinesiology. I'm Vincent Metzo, and this is the Physical Culture Music and Art Show. Welcome back, Ted. Thanks, Vincent. So, the I wanted you to give us a little heads up on the Greater New York Chapter annual meeting or spring meeting for ACSM. Can you tell us what's going on at that event and when that's coming up? Sure. Um, I'm sure there's a few fitness professionals listening, and we all need uh, continuing education, so this will be a good opportunity for that. Uh, I've been affiliated with the Greater New York chapter of the American College of Sports Medicine for a number of years. And on uh, April 6th, there'll be a very cool event at NYU Langone. Uh, if you want more information on that, uh, go into acsmgreaternewyork.org. Uh, 
And uh, we're actually doing a conjoined meeting with the local chapter of the National Strength and Conditioning Association. So it'll be a, much, a little bit more athletic-focused uh, uh, seminar than we usually do. And it'll also be joined up with the uh, annual Student Bowl, which is uh, Jeopardy. It's kind of fun. You've done it mm-hmm. in the past. It's a Jeopardy-style tournament at the end of the conference that features uh, students from exercise science programs from you know the the area, and they compete kind of head-to-head um, in this kind of uh, general knowledge and exercise science knowledge kind of tournament. So that'll be at the tail end of it, but it'll be a really, really fun event, and uh, you know, come join us at NYU Langone. Awesome. Thank you very much. So, Ted, you, you know, I've known you for a while, and I'm always uh, impressed by all the different modalities that you're interested in and that you've studied. So I know you've done Indian clubs, you've done various martial arts, obviously you do Olympic lifting. So there are all these different things that you've been involved in. Oh, what sort of pursuits, more of the skill-based pursuits are you involved in now? Well, I've put, uh, you know, martial arts aside for uh, for the time being, I was involved mm-hmm. for a number of years until recently with a, a Russian martial art called Sambo, mm-hmm. which was um, really an amazing uh, training modality of itself. You know, and uh, a few injuries uh, forced me to put that aside, but I definitely took quite a few uh, training ideas from that. Currently, uh, my programming includes uh, some basic uh, calisthenics uh, and uh, body weight exercise. I'm using a lot of suspension training, mm-hmm. uh, the TRX mm-hmm. being uh, one of those, and um, a little bit of kettlebell work. Um, I do break out the Indian clubs from time to time for, mm-hmm. for shoulder mo- mobility. If, if, if no one's heard of those or used those before, they're an ancient modality, probably one of the very first training modalities, and they're done in very uh, circular and complicated patterns. And those are a lot of fun, um, and they're uh, they're a great modality to if you're looking for something with a little bit more skill element. So there are those elements, and you know I I, I do admit I do some of the basics. I, I I do run, and I do some high intensity intervals on on mm-hmm. a you know, stationary cycle, like a lot of people oh, do. Cool. So nothing mm-hmm. overly fancy these days. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about samba? I know there's samba and there's sistema, both come from Russia. Which is the one that uses the rotational patterns a lot? Is that are you familiar with that, or am I have those, I those, conflated yeah. some things there? Yeah, I think uh, it, both use those mm-hmm. types of patterns, but, but sambo, um, you know, is, is is an art that dates back to Russia, uh, you know, right around the time of of the Second World War it started uh, taking off, and and of course, uh, much like the Gracies, uh, the originators of sambo, uh, you know, studied. Um, under uh, Kano, uh, the, the you know uh, judo master, and uh-huh. so there's a tremendous judo uh, element to it, as well as some creative folk style wrestling from uh, from you know different areas of the former Soviet Union, and uh, that's it's an incredibly creative uh, style. And yeah, mm-hmm. you will see some of these uh, you know circular patterns uh, and uh, kind of self defense techniques that you might see in, for instance, Aikido. But embedded into a more base of, of traditional wrestling, and, mm-hmm. you know, so it's really very much 
you know, Russians are very practical people, so it's a very practical style, mm-hmm. and it's just really about what works. And it's a very informal style. Uh, you know, we don't uh-huh. bow, we, we we shake hands. There are, if there's a running joke, there's two different colors of, of belts. It's either red or blue, and say, oh, yeah, I'm a red belt today. Tomorrow I'm a blue belt. There are no uh-huh. ranks typically, mm-hmm. and the way you tell someone who's been doing it a while, if 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 someone has a either they have a, there's a blue or a red jacket if they have a powder blue or pink one you know they've been doing it for a while stay away from them <laughs> uh-huh. awesome so what do you think has changed not just in the equipment we use in the fitness industry but what do you think has changed in the the i i can't believe i'm going to say this <laughs> in the zeitgeist or in the you know in the our approach to fitness or the way people are receiving and thinking about fitness mm-hmm. compared to when you started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you would agree that a lot of things come full circle. And I mm-hmm. think as we, you know, we, we, we refer to in the late 90s, there was this functional training revolution. But was it really a revolution or was it just, uh, you know, just return to um, older ideas, which I guess, you know, all revolutions mm-hmm. are. Uh, if you look at things like suspension training, um, Indian clubs, unstable apparatus, none of this stuff is really new. You'll see mm-hmm. photographs of people doing stuff like that you know, from you know, ancient times. Uh, so I, I think what's old is new. Um, I believe Pascal said it, you know, those we call the ancients are new in everything. And a lot of the methodologies that we, we do really are, are time-tested, and we might have just forgotten about them. So mm-hmm. I think it's it's when we move to, towards a more movement-based approach, we're probably just doing something very similar to what our ancestors did before we started adopting uh, machine training, which, as, as you said, definitely has its place. We took, started taking this body part, take it apart approach. Now we're mm-hmm. putting things um, very much back together again. And that's, that's a really cool uh, aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think especially what I've, noticed in these last say five years is not only putting the movement back together but also putting the sound mind sound body mind body spirit kind of approach together and that we're getting into the mindfulness again Mm -hmm. so that it's not the physical and the emotional spiritual are separate but that they support each other and exactly. that maybe they should support each other and we shouldn't separate them. And I think something you mentioned earlier about moving meditation is really interesting. It's, you know, there's not meditation doesn't have to be sitting down in a quiet space. It can be something that involves movement and involves whether it's swinging Indian clubs in complex patterns or running and getting the runners high, but those things aren't really as separate as they may have seemed at one point. Exactly. You know, anything that's done with the appropriate focus can be and should be mm-hmm. meditative. Mm-hmm. What was the word you used earlier? Global. Um, Did I use global awareness? Yeah, global okay. awareness. Yeah. Just yeah. to indicate that mm-hmm. when we take that very specific awareness, you know, eventually the the brain's going to get it and that's going to start translating to, you know, just about everything we do. And that's something that, you know, meditators have been have known for for generations. Absolutely. And Ted, if you could give 
one piece of advice to people who are interested in starting a fitness program, taking their fitness program to the next level? What's the the most fundamental thing that you could offer them from your experience and your knowledge? I would say do your homework. There are a lot of great, uh, if, if we're seeking a fitness mm-hmm. professional, there are a lot of great fitness professionals out there. And I would just say to you know, do your homework and make sure that they have uh, appropriate uh, training and, and accredited certifications. Uh, and more than that, make sure that there's a, a good fit with them, that there's, there's trust because you're ultimately going to be putting your, your, yourself in this uh, person's hopefully capable hands. Uh, there's a lot out there, and one mm-hmm. of the one of the things that's uh, great about the uh, the industry is, is is we're returning to some of these basic you know, movement patterns and openness. But with that openness, there's there's a little bit of danger. Mm-hmm. So we, we we have to make sure that we're you know we're in good hands. The more we turn up the intensity, for instance, the more we open up the 